the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, it's Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. Thank you for watching on Periscope. A lot of folks are tuned in there. Thank you for tuning in on the radio. Ed Martin, the Pro-America Report, a huge show, and there's a lot to talk about. I just, we started the, the uh, before the program, I do the Pledge of Allegiance. I hope people are picking up the Pledge of Allegiance. It's time to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Bring it back. It is not brainwashing. But it's very helpful brand, uh, working together. It's very helpful sharing of our brand, and it's very, very important. I hope people will do the Pledge of Allegiance more and more. And I think you will see, if you start doing the Pledge of Allegiance today, I'd say within the next two months, you will suddenly see the Pledge of Allegiance resurging. I'm not saying I'll cause it. I'm saying I can feel it, and I can feel what's good for the country, and I think that's what we're going to see. So I hope you'll join in that. But uh, that's not what you need to know today. What you need to know today is... It's time to open up. In a few moments, we'll talk with uh, Dr. Decker, Dr. Brett M. Decker, about the economy, with the economy's booming today. The stock market's way up. And before we talk to Dr. Decker, we'll talk with uh, Matt Staver, who is uh, the, the, one of the leaders in defending our uh, religious liberty. He's at the Liberty Council. And Matt Staver will talk about the legal challenges, all, all these kinds of things to protect our religious liberty. But here's what I want to tell you is now it is time. And what you need to know is it's time to open up America and and it's time for we the people to lead. It is no longer possible for us to rely on our leaders in government, on the experts in the health professions, it is simply time for we the people to lead. And let me suggest that the first group that needs to go of we the people is our churches. And our churches need to step up. You know, I was talking to someone today, very smart woman, and she was saying that, well, you know, part of the argument is that the churches should go first because the churches have the most protection, that a small business is not protected on the Constitution in terms of the, uh, the First Amendment. That's a fair enough point, but more importantly, the churches have a certain moral authority. I'm not saying a small business doesn't have moral authority. It does. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a way of supporting people. It's important. But the churches have the, um, no, the churches, or someone just put on Periscope that said the churches won't step up, they're blind. They're not. They need to hear from we the people. They need to hear from the pews. They need to hear people say it's time. And here, let me just walk through a couple of historical things. Over the weekend, I spent some time reading. At other times of pandemic, and in particular in real, I don't mean to say that the wrong way, but in, 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 the, in the plagues that were unexplainable and untreatable, you know, at least in the modern times, we have a lot of ways to treat the illnesses that we face. I mean, a ton. We have ways to pe- help people get better. We have pay- way, help, help, have people get, uh, get oxygen, to get nourished, all kinds of things. At, at most of the pandemics in the history of the world, especially the ones that we know a lot about, they struck and people were just dying, falling into the Spanish flu. But I look back in particular because I had spent some time in northern Italy last year. And so I spent some time in Bergamo. You know, Bergamo is one of the hardest hit cities in all the world. It's a little hill time, hill time, hillside town, hilltop town, beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, little city in northern Italy. And it's been devastated. 
by the spread of coronavirus. And I just was there last year, less than a year, just about a year ago right now. We went to the little towns. In fact, in the Wall Street Journal today, there's a photograph and an article about Bergamo. And it said the photograph was right in the center of town at the baptistry, a big famous baptistry next to a church. And it was right there. I can picture standing in the spot where, from the spot, in the spot from which the picture was taken. But back in that plague, in this early part of this, of the 17th, 17th century, about 1620s, that when that struck, what happened was there were leaders who stepped up, the most famous of which was the Archbishop of Milan. Uh, his name is Charles Borromeo. And Archbishop Borromeo, now St. Charles Borromeo, he stepped up. He didn't leave town. Because back then when these plagues hit, people just were dying. And what if you had the money and you had the ability, you got out of town. You ran from town and went out to the country to get away from the cities where the bug was, where the virus was. And Borromeo didn't leave. And a couple things he did. One, he didn't leave. And two, he led. But the third thing he did was they immediately said, well, we can't have services inside because when people are all together, they spread the disease. Fair enough. You know what they did? They, they, they closed the doors of the church and they built uh, altars and they built tabernacles and they built, uh, 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 um, you know, kind of uh, platforms from which people could preach and read scripture and celebrate services all the time, right outside the churches. Now, where... Are all of our, our, our religious leaders, no, not, let me say it more positively, it's time for our religious leaders to step up and do that. Whether it's the Catholics, the Protestants, the, the, the pick a denomination that you're, 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 uh, you're most familiar with or you're part of, they need to lead. It needs to happen now. And we, the people, can't wait for whether it's de Blasio or Cuomo or, uh, or anybody. I mean, there's lots of them that have been pretty good. DeSantis has been pretty good. Newsom has been terrible in California. It's time to go. Now, let me tell you some of the details. More and more people are saying, forget about what the experts say. More and more people people, doctors, uh, you know, people that are smart that aren't necessarily doctors are saying, hey, you can't really spread this bug inside. Same thing that Borromeo said in the 1600s. Can't spread it inside very easily there. I mean, outside can't spread it outside. If I said inside, I had backwards. So get outside. And so we ought to have schools outside, churches outside, meetings outside. Go ahead and get outside. The sun will help you in terms of vitamin D. You'll be healthier in terms of air, all those kinds of things. And just change the way it's going. Another example is our, our restaurants. I've been telling people you can get a picnic table, a great heavy wood picnic table for 99 bucks. It's amazing. Made in America, too. And you could put that thing together, and in, in front of every uh, restaurant, you could have five picnic tables, and people could be outside. Again, the air, the sun, the, uh, the, the, the lifestyle, all better. All better. But what you need to know is our churches now need to go first. Churches need to go first. We have a witness of what's happened. We believed the leaders and we believed the experts that we should sit tight for two months. And we did it. I'm not complaining about it. I think that the economy is spring-loaded. We'll talk later on in the show with Dr. Decker. The stock market's way up. I think the economy is spring-loaded. However, it's still going to be hard to restart. So we took these two months. We tried to make sure that we didn't flood our, our hospitals with sick patients because we were worried about it. All that's fine. It's all water under the bridge. It's all in the past. Today is the new day for going forward. And everywhere in this country, it's time for we the people 
to take back control. And I'm not here to argue with you. If you want to wear a mask, you should wear a mask. If you have a comorbidity, you should stay at home. All those are decisions everybody should make. You should use your mind, your heart, your soul, your friendships, your family to make good judgments because there is still a health risk. But it's time to move again. It's time to move again, and it's time to move our nation. And when we do, we can overcome anything, whether it's sickness, whether it's uh, the economy, we can overcome all of it, and we will. And I think one of the things, you know, there was a survey in the last two days of of one of the the main, one of the uh, indices that I always say is the most important, and that is, what is the consumer confidence in the economy? And if you can believe it, the consumer confidence in the economy is high again. People think once we get out of this, they'll be go, go, go. And the point is, if you think it, it'll happen. You know, it's the old line, if you build it, he will come. That's the joke amongst people that love that movie, Field of Dreams. If you think it, it will happen. That's the, that's the message of the economy and the psychology of the economy. And that's what we have to believe. So it's time to move. And what you need to know is it's time for we, the people, to be the first movers. We can't wait anymore. We, I'm, I'm not, but let me be clear. I'm not advocating for any kind of specific action to, you know, to break any laws or anything. What I'm saying is we now need to move. We need to encourage. I sent an email to a friend of mine who's a pastor this morning. I said, brother, it's time for you to lead. You have to lead your people. They're waiting. And he said, I know it's time. He, and we have to encourage each other that it's time to move and it's time to get going. And when we do, it will be better it will move faster. It will go in the right direction. I promise you. You can see it already with the stock market up. You can see it with consumer confidence. You can see it with some of the decisions, some of the things that we're hearing about the ways that we can uh, handle schools and, and openings. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to be some uncertainty. There's going to be fear. There's even going to be sickness and there will be death, but that's life. That's called life. That's called life. All right, that's what you need to know. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have uh, Matt Staver of Liberty Council, and then later on, Dr. Brett Decker. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. I just was saying off the air, our next guest, uh, Matt Staver, who is uh, he's really one of the uh, one of the sharper lawyers around. I was saying I was saying I wished he wasn't so busy because as the uh, the uh, uh, senior pastor and the founder chairman of the Liberty Council, he is um, actively out protecting Americans' rights, uh, especially religious liberty, and he is uh, well. This time of uh, of crisis, he's right at at the heart of helping a lot of folks. So, uh, welcome, Matt. Uh, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Oh, thank you. Good to be with you. So let me ask you first, and by the way, it's lc.org, LC, as in Liberty Council, lc.org to check out Matt and his work and his great group. Uh, before we get to some of the specifics of what you're seeing, Matt, tell me the trajectory of sort of religious liberty in the world and America sort of before this crisis. You know, in other words, we've we've seen maybe the last 15 years a sort of heightened uh, understanding, maybe a heightened awareness of threats to religious liberty. So before we hit the crisis, were you feeling like we were making more progress? Uh, was there a real movement afoot? How, how would you describe the general state of religious liberty? 
Well, I think we were making a lot of progress. We had some great wins at the United States Supreme Court in the last couple of years. We've got good justices and judges that are being appointed uh, by President Trump, and these judges and justices are those that are more committed to the rule of law. That makes a huge difference. We've already had the opportunity to argue before them, and I can tell you what, it is an incredible difference when someone actually believes the Constitution does exist and that they have to keep their opinions within that constitutional framework. It makes a big difference than to have these judicial activists. And also on an international level, uh, for the first time we've had these religious freedom conclaves and educational summits here in the United States. Never before has that happened in America, and we have a very strong ambassador that's been appointed, uh, Brownback, uh, former Governor Brownback. Yeah. And we've been able to communicate, and the, and the message has been strong nationally, but also internationally, that religious liberty is a priority. We've seen that internationally. We've seen that uh, in policies and in guidelines from the Department of Justice, from the Department of, of Education, from the HHS, the Health and Human Services, and that has been across the board. So lots of ground that have been that's been made up. Lots of good things for the future with these appointments of the judges, and then this happened with regards to this coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> and it just seems as though these governors and these orders just uh, pretend as though the Constitution simply doesn't exist. We're talking with Matt Staver, and I want to just give a little bit more. Liberty Council, his group, and again, it's lc.org. Uh, Liberty Council, I'm reading from his their, their statement, their mission statement, cooperates and coordinates in its efforts with other religious liberty, pro-life, and pro-family organization, and Liberty Council's legal staff. This is one of the things I think is legal staff is able to help a lot of folks that have a good fight, but then they need to get smart lawyers and smart people that understand the strategy who are, are uh, as it points out, it's not that you only limit your services to Christians, but to me, my mind, Matt Staver and his group, they're believers who see uh, their work as an extension of their faith. It's a big deal. All right. So we get down, Matt, to this moment in time. I had a pastor tell me this morning about this. He said, look, I was willing to uh, sit tight because I was afraid of the health risk. And I respected the authorities saying, hey, this is a health risk. But now it's too much. It's too far gone. Is right. that how you would, Matt, describe that we all, we, we, you know, it, it, no, no constitutional protection is absolute in the face of a real threat. The question is whether it was a real threat, right? I mean, is that walk us yeah. through where we are? You know, I, the best analogy I can look at is a justice scale, a scale of justice. And so you have the Constitution on the one side, in this case, uh, First Amendment, but there's other constitutional rights as well. On the other side, you have the interest of the government, the interest of the government. Now, that interest actually is lesser or greater, depending upon the issue. And obviously, during a pandemic, even with what we knew, of course, the interest got greater. But it never outweighs the constitutional right. In other words, it doesn't just simply go away. We don't have a pause button. Right. On the First Amendment or any right. constitutional provision, there's no pandemic exception. There's no coronavirus exception. It's always there. Right. So what you have to do is you have to at least balance that interest with the constitutional right. So let's look at these interests. Let's look at in every one of these uh, places where they have these orders, and this is how they started off to be, and there's less restrictions in some states, but still many states are very restrictive. They created this essential, non-essential category. Well, they automatically dump churches in the non-essential category, and they began to treat them differently. Well, they want to protect the health and welfare, so what they do with regards to places like uh, Home Depot, Walmart, Kmart, liquor stores, even abortion clinics. Well, they still allowed them to park their, pack their parking lots full 
They allowed people to come and go and buy essential things such as potted plants or picture frames, and they then then shut churches down. Well, that doesn't seem to make sense. These other places don't have a constitutional right to exist, and yet you're allowing them to operate, and yet churches have the constitutional right under the Free Exercise Clause, and the government's prohibited from micromanaging the status and form of worship and details of worship and manner of worship of churches through the Establishment Clause. It can't do it. So there's a jurisdictional line there that protects churches that does not protect these other places. So if you're allowing these other places to do that, why are you now telling churches only online? Well, they're not saying only do shopping online or you can only go uh, in the parking lot. Uh, or maybe right. not even in the parking lot, or you can only have 10 people. Well, they don't say that to any of these other places that they consider essential. You can pack out an abortion clinic or a liquor store or the super centers, and they don't have a 10-person limit. So I haven't come across any, and I'm talking about any, we're talking about looking at thousands of these, any of these orders that are constitutional as they relate to the restrictions on churches. And so that's why we've been challenging them. We won two major decisions at the Court of Appeals, both Saturdays, and that was on first Saturday afternoon, a ruling that the ban on parking lot services in Kentucky was unconstitutional. And then the second Saturday, Court of Appeals in the same case, said that the ban on in-person services was unconstitutional, using the exact same arguments that I just uh, went through right now. Uh, we're talking with Matt Staver again. Uh, to learn more, lc.org is Liberty Council. It's a good good website and, and good resources in lots of ways. Uh, Matt, so what is a, what is a, 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 a pastor or a, well, just a, a member of a church in Maryland or Missouri or California where you've got this mixed bag of what the options are? How, how do you counsel the, 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 the someone that says, let's go now? Do you say, go for it, know the risks, uh, try to change the system? You know, how do you get, how do you make the project, make the progress that we need right now. Well, first of all, you know, we've got a website called reopenchurch.org, and it's part of our Liberty Council LC.org page, but reopenchurch.org is encouraging churches to begin the process, and I want to emphasize that, begin the process of having some form of in-person service, along with other options that are available as well. There's no one template fits all. Uh, There's no one size that fits all. So I can't tell anyone generically what it it, uh, should be for them. Each church is in the best position to determine when and how best to reopen. And obviously there's different restrictions to deal with. So I start off by doing that and talking about I really don't see any of these restrictions that are constitutional. This is not the jurisdiction Mm -hmm. of the government. It's, the, it's right. what Jesus said, Matthew twenty two twenty one, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. And this uh, regulation of the church does not belong to the jurisdiction of the government. And so consequently, you know, that's where we are legally. That's where we are constitutionally. Now, you have to make a decision as to what you're going to do. There may be consequences to that, especially if you're in one of these states where they say you can't meet. Like, for example, we're representing churches in Illinois. And they say no matter whether you have a sanctuary of 50 or 5,000, it's only 10 people. And then they say you're not going to get beyond 50 for at least 12 to 18 months, and that's only when we get a vaccination that we're going to, you know, most likely require everybody to have. Well, that's unacceptable. So some uh, Romanian churches we represent that came out of communist Romania, they decided to open. And they're getting pushback by the mayor and the governor. And uh, just passed uh, just this weekend, by the way, 
just yesterday, uh, over the weekend, they ended up um, putting notices of no parking everywhere for nine blocks around the church. Now, that huh. was designed to make the neighbors mad. Yeah, the church doesn't right. use the street parking. Doesn't use, and they began to they began to tow people. One nurse came home at four o'clock in the morning. She goes back out at seven. Her car's towed in front of her own house. And they wow. did that to try to make the church uh, the target, really putting people at risk. Then when they realized that didn't work, they went and put police guards in front of the private parking lot of the church. But that still didn't work. So they're trying all kinds of things uh, there at, in Illinois and in Chicago against these churches. So you have to be prepared to deal with some of that. But you have to yeah. make a decision. Is enough is enough? You know, and uh, how long yeah. are you going to continue to kick this can down the road? Yeah, um, Matt Staver, and this great website. I'm sorry I didn't say it earlier. You, you, it's in my notes. I just see it now. Reopenchurch.org. I'm looking at it right now. Reopenchurch.org. And you can check, check out more. Matt, I just got like about 30 seconds. I want to ask you my pet peeve. How can it be that when you're, if you're trying to accommodate the authorities, and I know we don't have to, but for example, outdoor church services, yeah. how can that be? I mean, it should be, or car services. You, you know, isn't there some reasonableness on the on the in the yeah. authorities or are we just really dealing with sort of people that uh, that don't want to tolerate this don't want to tolerate no, religion no. at all some of them are using this as a, as a as an agenda because they have an animosity to the church and uh, we yeah. see this consistently if they don't respect life and that's where the most uh, restrictive orders are coming from they don't respect your freedom and they're targeting the church and in one case they they actually sent police officers to a parking lot service on Easter to give them notices of violation, and they're in the parking lot staying in their cars. <laughs> so it's just absolutely right. unexplainable. It's irrational, and it's a targeting against churches. Well, listen, Matt Staver, thank you. It's great to have you on the air. I know how busy you are and so much is going on. So thank you for what you do at Liberty Council. And also I'll make sure on social media, reopenchurch.org. And again, uh, they, they're very, very kind, Matt Staver and his whole team. So if you have questions, you can, you can get, uh, you know, send an email or get through, through to them and they'll give you, at least give you a good counsel. I mean, like you said, at a certain point, you have to decide for yourself what you want to do and how, how you want to move ahead. There might be consequences or not. So thanks for being on with us, Matt. We appreciate you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author and professor of business and finance and uh, archaeology at Defiance College in Ohio. And Dr. Decker, my first question is, can you please explain to me the stock market? I mean, it's way up today, like 900 points, a couple 3%. It's still up from the time Trump came in office. I mean, if we're facing a pandemic and it's so uncertain and all, how's the market? What's the market? Usually, I think of the market as a way to tell what they think the future looks like. Do they think the future looks good right now? Well, you know, using it as kind of a to, to, to sort of have a forecast of the future that's sort of in normal circumstances, Wall Street works that way. Traders work a little different way when they start to fear uh the future or in like a crisis situation. So what they're trying to do is hold back um, a bunch of people just like running for the exits as far as their portfolios and their holdings go. So 
sort of in dire circumstances, the the how the stock market, how how traders look at the world, it, they kind of fall into a no bad news is good news position. That's what you see here. So places are starting to open up. Uh, you know, one or two days of restaurants having customers is better than zero days for two months. So. What the stock market is looking at is we're going to have an infusion of capital back into some businesses. So what they were worried about for the last couple of weeks is if all these states started adding another month onto the lockdown, there are a bunch of businesses that could sort of borrow money, not pay their bills for a month or two. But after that 60-day period, you have a lot of people, a lot of business owners throwing in the towel saying, I can't, I can't go any longer. So... We kind of got to that crisis point. Now places are starting to open up. The stock market is responding by saying, okay, we dodged a bullet on month three. Now maybe the rebuilding process can start. So um, before things get too dire, they, they basically are like, you know, let's assume the best until we have the worst. And, and that's what you see right now. Um, and And so is the – is the uh, uh, you know I used to say that that Wall Street is an indication of big business, right? Big multinational, big banks, big business. What about Main Street? I mean, because Wall Street doesn't really care if Main Street stalls, right? I mean, they're not you know the corner store, the corner pharmacy in Morrison, Illinois, where my friend has a pharmacy. That doesn't affect Wall Street because they care about what CVS is trading, right? So is that lagging behind, or uh, you know how do you think that's going to go? Well, I mean, that is, that's one of the kind of, uh, important narratives that we're seeing play out during this, um, economic crisis, which is how I'm looking at coronavirus, right? I mean, you, you have the, the world economy at a shutdown is, right? The Wall Street, Wall Street, I mean, stock trading is of publicly owned companies, right? So you're talking about bigger corporations that have infusions of cash, uh, from people buying stock. So uh, essentially you could have, right? Seventy-five percent of small businesses go under, and the stock market still be okay. It doesn't necessarily work out that way, but uh, as you said, like uh, a robust stock market doesn't necessarily reflect Main Street and what's happening to mom and pop stores. So I think the thing is, though, on the flip side of that, mom and pop stores, places on Main Street somewhere in your neighborhood, they they feel like uh, when a lockdown is lifted. Uh, when people start spending money, they tend to feel it sooner because where do people go? They go immediately to the diner around the corner um, or or the place outside your neighborhood, right? So, um, so, so it, it's kind of good news for everybody right now. Is is um all right now? But let me then shift over. We're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker. Let me shift shift over to China for a second. I said earlier in the in the show, you can't ever really get a deal with China anymore. They they're too far gone because of their system. You know, it'd be like when the old days when people said, "Oh, you just get along with the Soviets, you can make a deal." You couldn't make a deal with the communists, the Soviet communists, because they were communist. Are we to the point where everybody realizes you can't get a deal with China, that we're we, it's incompatible systems, or is it going to lurch back where people say, oh, we'll just get a really good terms, you know, really good trade deal? You know, I'm afraid it's going to lurch back. You know, I've been, been paying particularly close China. It was actually 20 years ago, um, 
20 years ago this spring that I moved to China, and I've been right, really paying really close attention to it since then, going back most years and visiting. Um, I think it's going to lurch right back because at the end of the day, the a lot of the structures of our economy um, that sold out American manufacturers and moved stuff over to production over to China uh, because they wanted a cheap source of supply. Uh, a lot of those factors haven't changed, right? If you look right now, everyone's worried about people coming in and out of their countries, about travel. You know, if we can't test everyone, why should we let everyone in? Well, Chamber of Commerce and a lot of business, uh, a lot of business in- interests are still trying to get more immigrants here for cheap labor, right? Even amidst uh, th- th- this pandemic, right? So. The, the same kind of greed of cheapest possible um, source of labor and production, as soon as this thing passes, they're going to go right back to pressuring Trump to go easy on China and, and to get things exactly where they were before, which, right, killed the Midwest, killed the heartland, killed American manufacturing. So a lot of Americans now um, want more manufacturing, right? They, they don't like China, but, I mean, there's this pretty big disconnect now between what people want and what government and the powers that be do, right? So for 20 years, basically, in every single poll, and you ask Americans, are you willing to pay more for products to be made in America than be made in China? Vast majorities of Americans, 60%, sometimes higher, um, say, I'll pay more uh, I'll, I'll, sometimes if it's like a, a cheap spatula at Walmart that's a dollar, I'll pay $2 or $3. So sometimes we're willing to spend twice or even three times as much for products to be made here instead of an awful place like China. But those that make the decisions to have production overseas don't listen to them because they're only worried about. What I think is interesting what we're seeing in this pandemic, though, all these companies making all these profits, immense profits, and they, they save nothing for a rainy day, right? Everyone's going to the government for a bailout now, including oil companies. They make right. billions and billions of dollars by pumping stuff out of the ground. The easiest job, least complicated job almost of any major industry. But they, they can make billions of dollars, give their, their executives tens of millions of dollars, multi-million dollar bonuses. And within three months, they're like, oh, we need a bailout. So, you know, it, it, it's not like they're doing anything other than serving themselves with these profits, right? So I, th- I think to me it's a, a fascinating – we're learning a lot about how compromised our cap, our, our semi-capitalist system is now. And, and uh, you know, yeah. hopefully we can use that later. Uh, me, yeah. yeah, and let me – real quick, I'll shift. I want to ask you um, – you worked in the. You've worked in Washington in the swamp. You've been in the you know high level uh, administration jobs. The the unmasking situation where you know we had like thirty nine different people in the last four weeks of the Obama administration asking to unmask various people. What, what's your impression? I mean, Andrea Mitchell tweets a while ago. Oh, there's been thousands of unmaskings. Nothing to see here. Uh, I mean, it, it's not how many people get unmasked. It's the reason they're doing it. But what's your impression of this uh, of this sort of uh, Obamagate scandal? Where do we where do you think it is? Well, I mean, the difference in any of these other supposedly countless cases that uh, I don't know that much about. Right. Uh, even though I was right. in Washington for 20 years, the difference is. Right. They use this unmasking of someone who was 
named as the next national security advisor for a president that they tried to prevent from getting elected and then tried to are still trying to unseat after he got elected. And they didn't like who he picked for one of his senior advisory spots. So they just went out and they took him out. That's all. That's as simple as it is. So the reason, you know, the the, the reason is, is, is a big question. And and in here, it was just right. They were doing everything to try to hob, hobble the Trump administration, and largely they've succeeded, right? I and mean, succeeded, right? I mean, this president hasn't had a day, uh, a, a day of honeymoon, right? It was attack, attack, attack from day one for over the last four years. Right, it's true. I mean, if the, if the goal was to waste time and tie and tie him up, it was uh, it was very effective. All right, I got to run, uh, Doctor Brett M. Decker. Thank you Go as on. always, uh, New York New York Times bestselling author and professor at Defiance College. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Brett. <clears throat> we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. 100 years ago today, a child was born who would one day shape the course of human history. Pope John Paul II is credited with many great accomplishments during his time as Pope from 1978 to 2005. But few could compare to his tireless fight against godless communism. It's no wonder he felt so burdened to be a part of this fight. He himself was born in Poland before the Iron Curtain fell. The life of Pope John Paul II proves that the fight against communism wasn't just political, economic, or militaristic. It was a spiritual battle between right and wrong. That rallying cry voiced by the Pope was a banner millions of oppressed Eastern Europeans gathered under. Support poured into the Solidarity Movement in Poland to peacefully resist the Communists because of the Pope's blessing. Solidarity's leader, Lech Walesa, who served as Poland's first post-Communist president, said, quote, The Pope started this chain of events that led to the end of Communism. Before his pontificate, the world was divided into blocks. Nobody knew how to get rid of Communism. In Warsaw in 1979, he simply said, Do not be afraid and later prayed, let your spirit descend and change the image of the land, this land, end quote. These words of inspiration commemorated by Walensa were life-giving inspiration to oppress people under communist rule. On this 100th anniversary of the birth of Pope John Paul II, we should take a moment to reflect just what our duty should be for the cause of freedom. The Pope could have easily dismissed the fight against communism as a political matter beyond the scope of his papacy. But instead, he embraced his duty to empower others to pursue freedom. Our duty is no different than his. When freedom itself is at stake, there is no room for us to say, I'm just not a political person. We all must take a stand. We cannot be afraid of the personal cost to us or our families. Pope John Paul II never let the assassination attempts he survived stifle his voice. We must boldly proclaim truth until all peoples of the world can experience the sweet taste of freedom. What stand will you take for freedom today? This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. 
That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Good to be with you. So let me finish up. Those are two good uh, guests. I hope you'll go and visit uh, edmartinlive.com. Get signed up for the uh, daily email. But more importantly, theanswersandiego.com. You can find all the shows as a podcast. I track Andrea Kay's show, all sorts of stuff. And here's what I want to summarize for you. Those two interviews, Matt Staver, very good and helpful, and then Dr. Decker, Brett M. Decker. But here's what I want. You know, stock market's way up. And why is the stock market way up? And the stock market is way up for one reason. And it's a little bit of what we talked about with Dr. Decker, but it's because the people who are on Wall Street and investors and more Americans than the media wants you to know have confidence in the future. So you have a couple of things. If you're, why would you have confidence in the future? One, Money is going to be really cheap for a while to borrow. So there's going to be lots of people who are going to do more business. They're going to build more buildings. They're going to start businesses. I know two people I can think of right now who are starting a business. They're going to get really low loans. They have a you know collateral. They're going to get loans. They're going to start businesses. What else is the stock market seeing that they like? Well, the president announced Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed is this massive $10 billion with a B effort to get to the bottom of a coronavirus vaccine. And when he did it, the president didn't just say, I'm going to get Operation Warp Speed. We'll see what we can do. He named a director, some hotshot woman scientist, I think it was. But he also said... When we get to the point where we get a vaccine, we're going to use all of the military logistics to get it out there. In other words, if, you, if you're sitting there and you're Wall Street, you're saying to yourself, OK, the country has been rocked to its heels, rocked back on its heels by this um, pandemic and by fear of it. But what's happened Massive mobilization of resources to make sure that our hospitals over, are over, aren't overrun, building hospital beds, moving hospital ships, making ventilators, shipping ventilators. All that was done. I'm not saying that it was was not chaotic. It was chaotic, but it was accomplished. It, have you heard one report of someone who died because they didn't have a hospital bed or a ventilator? No, you haven't. Because that's what they did. So this president has proven that when it has to, government can respond, even if it's imperfect response. But I'm not claiming it's a perfect response. I'm saying chaos, real threat, action. Even the Congress, which probably threw twice as much money at the problem as they could have if they were efficient and non-corrupt morons, even that they still moved. They still were able to make some things happen to keep things moving, to keep things stable. And so what Wall Street and what other people and investors and others are looking at, and, and even the poll I mentioned earlier that said that consumer confidence isn't a high, it, people are looking up and they're going, huh, even in chaos, I got a sense that these people can sort of get out of their own way. They can do things even when they do things wrong. It's directionally in the right, to, in the right way, and they're going to move ahead. And I think that's what they're seeing. Now we're going to go back. We're going to open up. We're going to get back to our lives. Things are going to pick up and it's going to get hot fast in terms of both the temperature and the action. And people are going to say, oh, I see it. I see the." So what the stock market is, is betting on the future that they have now seen in the immediate past. And they figure it's worked out that more things have happened with uh, technology for meetings and working from home and handling uh, all kinds of things. It's all adjusting. It's all adjusting rapidly. 
Education is adjusting rapidly. Telemedicine. You know, my wife, I talk often about my wife who's a physician and, and, and she, she has told me we've talked to her friends and they're, and they are, uh, and they are paying attention. They're using regularly telemedicine to do their work, which they had never done before. Nobody had done. I mean, it just was not something that doctors did. Now they have to, they have had to, and therefore they've adjusted and now they're going to do something and it's never going to go back. I mean, it's not going to stay the way it is now where there's, you know, so little in-person meeting, but it's going to, it's going to adjust. So I, I think that's why the stock market's up. I think that's why people are more confident and I don't think that's going away. I think it's actually going to grow stronger and stronger. All right. Thank you, as always, to uh, our great listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, who had a birthday two days ago. Happy birthday, Noah. And to Joanna for helping book everything and get our guests on. And don't forget, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com to uh, get all the stuff. Podcast, Andrea K. Show, my show, and check in on all of our great sponsors and supporters. And we'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow night.